Welcome to Talks at GS, where leading thinkers share insights and ideas shaping the world. This session of Talks at GS was recorded before a live audience. So let's start with those early years. You grew up in Turkey, small mountainous farm. What about those early years and your experiences on that farm brought you to where you are today? What values did that instill in yeah. you? Small town, you know, I say upstate New York, similar to upstate New York, eastern part of Turkey, um, Kurdish background. Um, I don't even know my birth date because my mother says we were coming back from the mountains. Um, we would go with our sheep and goats and cows, make cheese and yogurt. Um, I grew up in an environment that we really didn't have too much for use of money. We, 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 we had that, um, there was not, nothing to buy. So basically, um, it was simple life. And, and there's not a day goes by that I don't travel back to my childhood and my interaction with my mother, uh, the people there. The, the most important part was we felt safe, we felt enough, we felt complete, and, and, and we always pay attention to nature and human relationship and human interaction, uh, those kind of stuff. So later on, when I moved on in my life, it's always stayed with me, yeah. And what made you leave Turkey to come to the States? I, um, I left when I was in university in Ankara, and I started publishing newspaper for, uh, for my town. And the university, it was, I was one of the first, first students that went to university in Ankara uh, from our town. Um, and I wanted to become the mayor of the town because that was the guy my, mother, my father respected the most of. So I said, I want to go to school to become that guy that my father respects the most. And there I get involved with human rights and you know, all the other issues that you know, Turkey was going through and when it comes to Kurdish uh, topic. And I got in trouble with the government. And because I was writing something and they didn't like it. Um, between them taking me to the police stations and knowing what happened to my other friends who were activists, um, I was lucky to let go the next day and then within a few days I was looking at a place to go. Um, all my friends from the school were going to Europe, and I thought I would go to Europe. Um, and a stranger person told me, don't go to Europe, go to America. And I didn't know much about America at the time, Kathy. I, I really didn't know much, other than some movies and buildings. You had no family here. No family You here. didn't speak English. No. But I heard that guy, and he said, you should go to America because... Um, this is where you will feel free. This is where you can put your work, uh, you know, you c yourself into work. This is where you can avoid all the troubles that you had here. Uh, you won't be able to do that in, Ameri in, in, in Europe. So with his, um, you know, advice and contacts, I went and then they gave me a visa and I went to my hometown and it took me two weeks to convince my mother to let me go. And, and I was here in October uh, of 1994. <laughs> with $3,000 in my pocket, with no language, nobody knows, didn't know anyone here. Um, you started a small feta cheese business. Yeah, so that was later on, and my father came one day visit, and he said, why don't you make cheese? They don't have good feta here. <laughs> and I said to my father, I didn't come all the way from 
that mountain to here to make cheese. I, I should be doing something different. Um, and he was right. And I started making cheese. Like, um, and by the time I started making cheese, my mom and my dad, they both passed away, so they never saw it. Um, and then when I was sitting in my office one day, after, this is three years after I started making cheese, um, I saw this ad and said, fully equipped yogurt plant for sale. It's literally a junk mail came to my, my office. And I threw it away. I'm going through the junk mails once a week. And I went back to the mail. I picked it up. And I called the number. It happens to be a craft that's closing the factory. Um, and they were selling it very cheap. It was about $700,000. And I went there. And I remember calling back to Mario. I said, Mario, I just saw, Mario is my attorney there. He's an Italian guy. He's a nice guy. And he said, Mario, I just saw a plant. It's so cheap. It's $700,000. Even one tank will worth that much. And I want to buy it. And Mario said, wait a minute. Kraft is getting out of yogurt business. They're closing the factory after 90 years. And you're buying it as is. You think you could do better than them? Like, this doesn't make any sense. If there was any value to it, they would never let it go. And plus, he said, they're selling as is. That means that they've done so much damage to the environment that they try, they're, they're looking for a t crazy Turk or idiot Turk to unload it to. So that's, that's you. He's trying to protect me. And I said, <laughs> next day, I said, yeah, I said, you're right. And then next day, I would call him back. I said, Mario, I just have this feeling in me that I should get this place. I, 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 they don't have good yogurt here and you know, all that kind of stuff. He said, Hamdi, even if you're, if you're right, you have no money. You have not paid me for the last six months. <laughs> and he was right. I had no money um, to buy that $700,000 so plan. No plan. <laughs> no, <laughs> no money. No money. Nothing. But a dream. Yeah. It's, it's actually, it's like in, you know, this calling that I, I have this gut feeling that I could do something with this. There's this two banker uh, from Key Bank in, in that area. They were active. And they found a way to get a financing for an SBA to loan guarantee, and they financed the boat. And I had this key for the plant on August 17, 2005. And the first thing I did is hire four factory workers with me. So that day, we had our first board meeting uh, among us. Yeah. There you go. So look, you revolutionized what some people would argue was a pretty boring category. And you know, as you did that, you obviously had a different formulation and go-to-market strategy. What were some of the things that you think helped you to really revolutionary, revolutionize and then get into this very competitive space? You know, to be honest with you, I, I didn't think that I would make this much impact in the marketplace. All I was trying to do is to get the taste that I was used to, that I growing up at home, like the yogurt that my mother made. I didn't understand the concept that if you lived in New York or if you had, you know, if you make more money, you would get an access to a better yogurt. I just didn't understand that because, you know, for tomato or yogurt or a loaf of bread or anything in that simplicity, doesn't matter what your income is, doesn't matter where you live. You should be able to access to a really that that taste. So, all I was trying to do is make the yogurt that my mother made and, and I loved and and offer to the world. But one thing that I wanted to do is I wanted to do it different than what showed in the marketplace. What I insisted the most, Kathy, is I wanted to put it into regular dairy aisle, not in organic natural sections that only certain people go. 
that was my first fight. Um, it was very short return on that, you know, on that instincts. We, we, we put our first cup of yogurt into shelf in a kosher store in Long Island in October of 2007. That was our first shipment. It was 60 Ks. It took us 12 hours to make it midnight. And when we finished it, it was yogurt from head to toe. I mean, that was <laughs> crazy. And I was, I remember like yesterday, I, I walked out of that factory with all my colleagues, we, we filled it. And I'm looking at the plant, I'm looking at myself, I'm covered with yogurt, I'm looking at everybody there, how tired they are. And I said, how the hell are we going to make this work? I mean, this is just crazy to think that we can bring this, you know, factory back. And, you know, that was the doubt moment I had. And I had so many of them along the way. But from that day to 2012, um, I don't know how time passed. I don't know how, where I found all those resources and courage and decision-making process to come into me because I've never done this before. I didn't know I could do this. Um, but what I owe it to is the factory workers that I work with that they were so focused to bring this back with me and that the, the community in that town, that they were so supportive of us, of this dream, because they, they believed in it you know, very early on. And we were just elevated. Right. And we, we were not in a real world. We were not in a you know, logical area. We were just elevated and everything for us was doable. Everything for us was accessible. And if you say, hey, this plant is 70 years old, old plant. We're going to make it one of the biggest yogurt plant in the world, in the country. We will get billion dollar sales out of this plant. These five people will be 2,000 people, will be number one brand. We'll do it independently without everyone um, getting involved. It just doesn't make any sense. You can't, you can't put your heads around it. But over and over and over again, I would say the founders, the entrepreneurs, combination of what they believe, the efforts that they put into the work and, and sacrifice, and the people that they surrounded themselves, you know, makes it to the next level. And I think I was lucky to have that. So let's talk about the culture of Chobani. You know, we talked about starting with this abandoned plant and you're growing to over a thousand employees in a very short amount of time. What a lot of folks may not appreciate is Hamdi made a commitment to the local community and a commitment to immigrants. What percent of the employee base today are immigrants, would you say? We have about 30% refugees and immigrants. I mean, most of it are refugees, legally settled refugees in Idaho and, 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 and Utica, upstate New York. And talk about the importance of that to you personally and to the culture of Chobani. In upstate New York, I was very angry with the people who lost their jobs to the people who closed that factory. I was very, very angry. I quickly realized how amazing these people were and how powerful it could be in the company that I'm about to start. That culture, that tradition, that commitment, that, you know, I got your back attitude and we are in it together. That, that's just amazes me. It, 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 it's been there. Uh, it's been there in this country's, you know, backbone forever. I wanted to build in a way that they owned it at the same time. The people in that community and people who built it with me, they also owned 
piece of it, not only financially, but also emotionally, that this is their fight, not only mine. And I think we managed that. Um, later on, when I brought everybody back to work, and you know, the you know, it gets wider and wider, and I hit Utica, and I learned that there were people settled in Utica that they were having a hard time to find jobs, and they either language or transportation or training or people just unknown, so they stay away. And we made it easy. We said, let's put cars, let's put translators, let's put, let's put um, um, you know, training. And it, magic started happening. People from 19 different nationality, nationalities, 16 different languages spoken. And you go to this tiny town in upstate New York or Twin Falls, Idaho, it's like a United Nations. And people work shoulder to shoulder, side by side, and making a cup of yogurt and go back to their life and be mother or father or brother or sister. It's just human, human, um, you know, human way in, in whatever you want. This has been going on for five years until ISIS attacked Yazidis, which they are Kurds, and I'm Kurdish. And I saw this picture in, picture in New York Times. It looked like my mother, you know, the person in there. And, and I said, what is going on? So I went to... UNHCR and IRC and try to understand the refugee struggles and I realized this is a place where um, none of us had a knowledge to you know we see some pictures when something happens but later on we forget but that issues continues to stay there and I I decided to get involved and at that moment you know bringing the businesses entrepreneurs CEOs into this biggest human tragedy was my way. And what I realized is when people had a job after all this you know, tragedy is the way that they can start getting back to their life. I saw it in, in Chobani. And I invited people to come and see. And that's the whole thing went up in a very crazy direction uh, because of the political landscape. But at the same time, I started the tent and so we just pause this. So folks don't know, Hamdi has started something called the Tent Partnership, where he's getting private businesses to help educate and employ refugees and create a life for these folks. We created this above and beyond politics place where all the businesses and brands and entrepreneurs can come together and help refugees. It's, it's, it's going really well. I, I go to um, refugee camps. I go to cities and towns where the refugees are settled or trying to settle um, Europe or Greece or, or, or even in transit to the sea. And I was trying to tell the group in, in New York in that, in that place is it's our responsibility, our responsibility to be able to respond to that calling of millions of people who are suffering today and not to name them differently, not to call them terrorists, not to call them this and that, but just give our hands and understand who they are they are just ordinary people. They did not want to leave. They did not want to come to the doors of anyone. And they just forced to be. And we have resources, we have money, we have knowledge, we have technology to be able to help them where they are. Not, they don't want to go anywhere anyway. <laughs> They're just there, stop this war, stop this tragedy. Tell me I can be a kid again. Tell me that this world is enough for you and me at the same time. That's what the calling is. And and I'm, I'm really proud how far we've come. I'm really proud how entrepreneurs and CEOs and brands are thinking the last three, four years. I'm really proud 
and ordinary people, how they are thinking about it. But we have a lot of work to do. And, and it's our responsibility. And the way that I think about this is, if our businesses are successful, if we are a great innovator, if we are a great culture maker, product maker, and, and we set this new way of business tone as we are successful on, on the platform of business, but yet we want to change the world in a right direction, one person at a time or one town at a time, um, and that's where I am extremely helpful, uh, you know, um, hopeful that this new wave of businesses are the one that we can, you know, rely on to make the world a better place because it's pretty tough out there. And if we went back to Turkey and talked to some of your old friends from high school or the farm, would they be surprised to see you here today or do they always knew that Hamdi was going to go off and do big things? What do you think? One of my... My 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 friend. We just had our wedding in Istanbul, like um, two months ago, maybe a month and a half. Um, one of my friend, who I went to boarding school together in from my village, he talked in the wedding, and he he always um, said that he was always going to do something. He was always out there. But my brother said the 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 real thing. He said that everybody's look at him from a different perspective. But my brother is. One thing about him, that he was not the most brave person, but he always moved forward. He always went, um, even though he was afraid, he had fear, he, it never stopped him. He always moved forward. And I think that's true, and it's, it's very true. I, it's not like I know everything. It's not like I was most bright or anything like that. But one thing about me is the fear never stopped me. I won't jump from the plane. That I won't do, but... <laughs> But the fear of buying that plant, fear of being lonely in there, fear of five years working, fear of all of that stuff. Because I always wondered what was behind the other mountain when I grew up in these mountains in my hometown. Always wondered what was out there. And that you know, wonder always kept me going. And, and that was tough. I, I would tell you, during this journey, Kathy, I had the most difficult time of my life for five, six years. I've never left that town. I never left that factory. I know a lot of people do the same thing, but the intensity of that emotional intensity and the physical intensity. And it was never about money. I just wanted to find out what else I can do, what else is out there. Um, looking back, um, you know, none of all your relationships with your family members or your friends and everyone else, even though you stayed the same, but all of those changed. And that brings some kind of challenges with it at the same time, but still, it's good to go through this experience and this journey. Yeah. And I hope uh, you know, my, my kids grow up to be proud of me because that's what, that's what as a parent you want, you want to see. Um, and I know my mother smiles from heaven every once in a while. <laughs> and says, I knew you would do that. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of my imagination. Oh, we are honored to have you, and we so look forward to seeing the next mountain you climb. Thank you, Hamdi. This podcast was recorded on October 17th, 2018. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part or disclosed by any recipient to any other person. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the recipient. 
Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty, express or implied, as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any recipient is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that recipient, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.